is he is ushering in his eternal kingdom into our present evil age. Jesus comes to bring the kingdom of eternity and truth into our temporal and fallen world. Now, when we look at this, we see there are basically four things to consider here. Jesus' message is first, repent, believe on the gospel. Then Jesus' men, the men that are outlined here, but then you and I, men and women, we're a part of those men now, so this is directed to us. Then you see Jesus' method. Jesus' method is both to go to people, but also to allow people to come to him. And then lastly, we see Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission remains constant. He stays on task. Uh, if you're like me, the student or the, the, the teachers used to write on my report card, John is easily gotten off task. So maybe you can relate to that. We need to stay on task on the mission that Jesus brought into the world. So beginning our reading at verse 9 of Mark, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they came into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have we to do? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. 
And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Move with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him, and he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. The grass withers and the flower of the grass falls to the ground, but the word of our God abides for our constant encouragement, instruction, and our peace. Let's pray together. Now, Father, would you open the words that you, Holy Spirit, inspired that we may see Jesus and that we may see ourselves in him. Now we pray in Christ's name, amen. So Jesus's message is fairly clear. It's right there in verse 14 and 15. He, he comes and he, he is saying to them, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. In this message, you see that there is both correction, we're called to repent. Repent of our sin, yes, but we're also called all throughout our lives as Christian people to repent of our worldliness and our worldly thinking. And then we're called to faith. We're called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but a believing that is going to be following and so throughout our life, we're going to find ourselves getting off track, getting off task, and the Holy Spirit constantly nurturing us to begin to believe again and to more consistently follow Jesus as he shows us our great need. Um, Jesus is also bringing another level of correction to us, and it's the biggest level of correction, I think, once we, we really become believers. And that correction is the correction to think that this world, the world that you and I live in every day, the world that we're so comfortable with, is a really a fallen in an evil age. Because we're so used to it, we've so adapted ourselves to it, that this is what we really know. But Jesus comes into this world and he brings his eternal world into this world. So you see a world that Jesus comes into, and that's a world of fevers. 
It's a world of demons. It's a world of various illnesses. It's a world of diseases. It's a world of demons. Now, the world from which Jesus came has none of these things in them. And so Jesus is bringing his world into our world in order for us to see this correction. We just truly can get used to something like fevers. Fevers to us seem routine. Little children get fevers. They can even get a high fever. We don't worry about it too much. Children get high fevers. But then an adult gets a little older, and you get a high fever, well, they really start to worry about things then. Jesus' world is a world where none of these things exist. So we need to see what Jesus is doing. Now, we see these two worlds. We're called to follow Jesus. We're called to repent of worldliness. The Apostle Paul got this very clearly. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says this very clearly. If you've been raised up with Christ, if you've become a Christian, then he says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Then he goes and says, set your mind on these things, and don't set your mind on the things that are on earth. And so you see how Paul is picking up this very thing that is going to require our ongoing and constant exhibition of repentance towards worldly thinking and faith towards the thinking and the correction that come from Christ and come from the Scriptures. Now when we look at Jesus' men, and we see these men that are listed here, we have Peter and his brother, we have James and John. These men, Jesus comes to them and he's going to say this message, repent and believe. And so when he comes to them, they immediately do what we would expect. They forsake something. And in this case, they forsake their own avocation and occupation. They abandon it. And Jesus says, follow me and they begin at once to follow Jesus. Now, what they're going to experience throughout their whole time of being with Jesus is they're going to see their world as a fallen world, and they're going to be able to see that clearly in the way Jesus leads them. Now, he's taking them with them. He wants them to see this. He wants us to see this. I really doubt, you know, if, if, if these four men had ever seen an individual that they could just say, now there is a demon-possessed man. I, I just truly doubt that they had ever had that experience. But when they begin to walk with Jesus, they see this over and over and over again as Jesus takes and meets these men with demons, women with demons, and he casts them out. I'm sure that was a shock to them. It would be a shock to us. It needs to be. And then you see this, this world of which people with, with, with just mere sicknesses, they experience Jesus healing them. Then they come into the radical things, the things of leprosy. 
people are not used to seeing lepers. People don't interact with lepers. It, it just seems like a disease that's so volatile that we, we want to just stay far away from it as possible. But Jesus is constantly interacting with lepers. And what's he doing with the leprosy? He's casting the leprosy out. He's bringing his world into our fallen world, and he's creating disciples that see the difference and know how to act accordingly as his disciples. Now, I, I think it's very important for us to look at these three, three people's names here. The first would be Peter. When you think of Peter, here's a man that probably was older than Jesus. And Jesus comes into contact with Peter, and Peter is a common fisherman. I grew up in South Florida, uh, different times. Uh, when, when I was an interim pastor in Gulfport, Mississippi, the Gulfport Harbor's right across the street. All the fishing, all the fishermen, all of that, that's what Peter was. He was just an average local fisherman. Now, all of a sudden, he's walking with Jesus and he's hearing the voice of the master. But not only is he hearing the voice of the master, he's seeing the, the ministry of the master. He's seeing these things happen where demons are cast out. He's seeing things happen where people with leprosy are being cured. And this is having a tremendous effect on him to the point that he becomes the first one that says of Jesus, you are the Christ. He recognizes exactly who Jesus is. What does Jesus say about this man? Common fisherman, you are my rock. Upon your faith, I am going to build my church. Something has just happened to a common fisherman. And this common fisherman then becomes the leader of the disciples the leader of the apostles, a leader in the early church, a leader of the church in Rome. This man goes from being a common fisherman to one of the greatest men in history. Now we take this next figure here. Here's the apostle John. Now I'm glad we've got the communicants class here because when we think of this, this man when Jesus calls him out of that boat is probably somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15. So Jesus wants to enlist all of you young people to be his men and his women. He doesn't want you to think that this is an adult thing only. No, this man begins to follow Jesus. He drinks in Jesus's teaching. He drinks in Jesus's love to the point that he begins to be known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is a person that absolutely is consumed with following Jesus, experiencing all of these things. Now, he's a fisherman. He's a fisherman that picks up with Jesus like when he's 13, 15. He hasn't got the language skills of somebody, Luke, who was a physician. He is a young boy. And as a young boy, he has a limited amount of vocabulary. 
he has a limited understanding of, of, of writing. But this man goes to take those limitations and use the words that he uses simply, but he uses them precisely and with such elegance that he becomes the author of the Gospel of John. He becomes the author of the epistles of John. He becomes the author of the book of Revelation. He is the one at the end of his life who is saying to the church when he's in his 90s, little children love one another. He has mastered Jesus's teaching in those 90 years. Now the third person here is the unexpected person. The unexpected person is the man who's actually written this gospel. His name's John Mark. Now when John Mark began his walk with Jesus, well, he was probably somewhere between the ages of seven and 10. It's seven to 10. This boy is in his home in the upper room and the disciples and Jesus are leaving and he doesn't know where, but he is in his own home and he takes a sheet and he follows Jesus and the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when Jesus is arrested, they reach out to grab this boy, but they only get his sheet. And if you know the rest of the story, he flees naked. He was probably somewhere around 10, 11 at the end of that period of time. Now this man goes on to be a person that travels with the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey. He becomes a disciple of Peter's. He travels with Peter to Rome after uh, Peter's martyrdom. This man, John Mark, takes over the pastoral leadership of the church at Rome and he writes us the Gospel of Mark. Now don't disparage small beginnings. You are young and you are going to more than likely grow old and you need to do this in Christ Jesus, in faith, but as Jesus teaches you about life that you see more of the kingdom of God and in seeing it, you repent of worldly thinking and you adapt yourself to Jesus's form of thinking. Now, just recently from this church, we sent from right over in those pews, Katie Scott, and she has begun a life being a missionary in Casa Hogar. Over here, Madison Foshi, and she's gone to be a missionary in Casa Hogar. And from our office over there, Margaret Baker, who's just left to be a missionary in Costa Rica. Now, just think of it. If these young people who have given their lives could be equated with these young boys and young men that were fishermen, and God through Christ could do so much with their lives, what is he going to do with Katie and Madison and with Margaret? What is he going to do with them? You could expect that he's going to do something with their lives that's equivalent to what we see here in these men. Now, we just finished our missions conference, remember? It was about going. Here's the thing that I want to challenge you with. The girls have gone. The girls have gone. We've got three 
young women out of our church that have gone? Where are the men? Where are the young men that are willing to go? To go for Jesus, to take the gospel to the end of the world. Are you fearful about it? Look what Jesus did with the, this little boy named John Mark. Look what Jesus did with this little boy whose name was John. Look what Jesus did with Peter. That's what you have in front of you in following Jesus in this. Now, we're all called to follow, and we're called to follow that, thirdly, when we look at the method of Jesus. Jesus' method here simply is to go to all kinds of people and allow all kinds of people to come to him. Do you see that? In other words, you are you. And in all your diversity, all your uniqueness, you are you, and you fit into this community of Macon and Bibb County in such a way that somebody else can't take your place where you fit. And you fit into the lives of people in this community in a way that I could never fit into their lives, nor could anybody else. And you are one of his men. You're one of Jesus's men. And you should go with Jesus's words, but you should go with Jesus as he went, and he actually touched people. He actually touched these people. You can see these people in the brokenness of their lives, some of these people had demons, some of these people had leprosy, some of these people had, there are all kinds of pictures of reality, but there are also all kinds of pictures of the variegation of sin that exists in the world and in our community, and you are personally connected to those people and you're Jesus's people, and you have the, peop the ability to touch those people. You have the ability to go to them, and you have the ability to allow them to come to you, and you tell them about Jesus as best you can, and you will see the transformation that took place from these, these people, James and John and Peter and, uh, and John Mark, all of them, we can do what they did. Now, the last thing I want to call our attention to is Jesus's mission. After that first day, he cast out a demon. He had healed Simon Peter's mother of this fever. All these people gathered around the door. He healed them all. Now, they all went to bed, but Jesus got up early, and this was his mission. He went out to be with his father, and the question would be, Look what happened yesterday. All those people want this to go on. Heavenly Father, what have you called me to do? And so when the disciples follow him, find him, they say, look, everybody back in town is looking for you. They want the show to go on. And what does Jesus say? No, my mission. My mission is to go to all the other towns and villages and preach there, to preach to them, repent, and believe in the gospel. And so you see what Jesus is doing here. He is staying on his mission 
no matter what the various types of challenges and temptations might be. Friends, dear friends, sometimes when I hear you talk about your devotional life, it's talking about something sweet, something where you get up in whatever time of day and you open your Bible, your devotionals, and you read the Word of God and you pray about things that matter to you and you say, it's just such a sweet time. All right, that's fine. But when you look at what Jesus was doing, Jesus got up in the morning and he went out and spent time with his Father in heaven and he says, what is my mission? And how do I stay on mission? And when he's done with his devotional life, he begins to go back into his day and re-engage the culture on the mission that God had sent him into the world to perform. And that's what we're to do. We're his people. We are the way that his ministry is multiplied in the world. We are the way that our community is reached. We are the way that the world is reached. But, all right, you go right back to the very beginning. What does it mean for us? It seems like we've got some repenting to do. It seems like we've really got to exercise some more faith than the faith that we're actually exercising. We have to see that Jesus is, in fact, ushering in his eternal kingdom into our present evil world, but he's not doing it personally. He's doing it through each one of us, and that's the call upon us. So as we look at this scripture, and you read this over and over again, think of what the possibility is for you. Committing your life again. Committing your life more completely. Letting go of things that have got a grip on you in order that you could be this person that extends Jesus' kingdom into the world. We come to the Lord's table. It's a time in which we are assured that our sins are forgiven. But it's also a time in which, by, under the symbols of bread and juice, that we're refreshed and renewed and invigorated to have the strength to carry out the mission that the Lord has for us to do. Well, let's pray together. Now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're our God and we're your people. And we so do want to be the people that you want us to be in this world to complete the mission of Jesus in our lifetime and with our lives. And so we ask that you would renew us and that you would build up our faith in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray, in whose name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Let's stand and sing the hymn, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted.